One of the saddest nights of my life happened a couple years ago. Corinne has told this story, but I wanted to tell it again today from my perspective and make an application that I think is important for all of us. So Lucas was in the last season of his basketball career at the University of Calgary, and Tori, Josh, Corinne, and me flew out to watch him play over the weekend. The plan was to watch the the games Friday night and then again on Saturday. And Corinne's dad was going to drive down from Red Deer for the Saturday night game. And you say to yourself, well, that's really nice. Yeah, it it is. It's, It's a little deeper than nice, actually. And probably a little bit more complicated than just nice. See, at that time, Corinne hadn't seen or talked to her dad in over 10 years. I'm going to spare you the details, but basically, there's been a lot of hurt and heartbreak in Corinne's family as far back as anyone can remember. And some of that hurt and some of that heartbreak has caused a divide in the relationship between Corinne and her parents, which, while necessary, is also incredibly sad. But Corinne's little sister came to us one day and she said, you won't believe how much dad brags about the fact that he has a grandson who plays basketball at the University of Calgary, how proud he is and how cool he thinks it is. So Corinne and I got together and we talked about it. And in spite of the hurt and the heartbreak in the past, and in spite of the fact that moments like this usually did not end well, Corinne made the incredibly courageous decision to invite her dad to come down and watch Lucas play. And so on that Saturday afternoon, Lucas messaged the University of Calgary box office with his usual list of people that were coming with him and got free tickets. But on this particular Saturday, Lucas added his grandpa to the list for the first time ever. In fact, that night was to be the one and only time that Lucas's grandpa ever got to watch him play basketball. So Corinne was really nervous. Everybody was actually. Normally when we would watch games in Calgary, I would drop everybody off near the doors of the arena and then I would drive around campus looking for a place to park, make a long walk through the Calgary winter and join them in the arena. On this particular night, they decided I should drop myself off. They wanted me to be the first one into the arena. So I did and I saw Corinne's dad and everything was good. Everyone else joined us and it was hugs all around. And then the game started and I got kind of absorbed in the action. Until just about at the end of the first half, two things happened almost simultaneously. I glanced over to Corinne and her dad and I saw and heard him swear at her and call her a name that no father should ever call his daughter. And I remember thinking to myself in the moment, man, did did I really hear that right? Like, I'm not. And just as I was wondering whether I really heard that right, uh, he said it again, 10 times louder so that everybody around us could hear. And right around the time that he was done yelling, uh, I got a tap on my shoulder and a buddy of mine from Germany uh, was there. See, his son came from Germany to play basketball at the University of Calgary. And the year before we had met in Halifax, and we had bonded over the fact that our two sons were able to win a national championship together. It was great to see him. I got the hunch, by the way, that right from the first time I got to know him, that I was probably the only pastor that he knew. So it was a cool opportunity, always, to just show him love and joy and the kindness that should come with a follower of Christ. But I'm hugging him kind of uh, on on the aisle uh, between the bleachers. But as I'm hugging him, I'm watching Corinne and her dad to see what's going on. And then the halftime horn sounds and Corinne walks right by me up the bleachers. And she says to me, I'm leaving. He's your responsibility. Okay. And right after Corinne, her dad starts 
following her up the stairs. So I basically take my buddy from Germany, throw him out of the way, and I run up the bleachers and I kind of corral Corinne's dad. So for the second half, Corinne's dad and me sat on one side of the arena and way over there on the other side of the arena was Corinne and Tori and Josh and Lexi, who was Lucas's girlfriend then and uh, as of three weeks ago became his wife. So, so Calgary pulled away to a big lead in the second half and therefore Lucas and some of the other guys got a lot of chance to rest. And as Lucas sat on the bench, he would look up at me and he was going, what's going on? And I, was looking at, I would look back at him and I was like, it's all good, Lucas. It's all good, knowing that I would talk to him later. And then, and then he looked up at me and he's like, is it, is it thumbs up or thumbs down? And I gave him one of these like, ah, it, it could be better. And when the game ended, Corinne's dad said to me, man, I would sure like to go down and say hi to Lucas. So we went down and the usher led us onto the floor and the whole team was doing some cool downs and I called Lucas over. I said, come on, say hi to your grandpa. And so he did. It was kind of an odd moment though because it had been way more than 10 years since Lucas saw his grandpa and so he was just a little kid the last time they had been together. They hugged and they talked for a couple minutes and Lucas went back and continued his cool down. And Corinne's dad looked at me and said, I think I'm going to go now. And he did, and that's the last time I've seen him. Our, our plan for that night was, after the game, we were going to go to Dick's Drive-In in Calgary and grab milkshakes for everybody and celebrate the dino sweep. But the truth is, the dinos did get a sweep, and we did grab milkshakes, but we didn't celebrate much. Corinne was real sad, and we were all really sad at how sad she was. And it got me thinking about the power of proximity. The power of proximity. Like, let's imagine that Corinne would have been driving through town one day and someone would have swore at her just like her dad swore at her and called her the same name. It would have bugged her maybe for a few minutes, an hour, maybe an afternoon. But that moment two years ago at the University of Calgary, if she thinks about it, it still makes her sad. And that's the power of proximity. It kind of reminds me of this old song (laughs) back from when I was a kid, back in 1987. You two released this song called With or Without You. And there's a line in that song that says, my hands are tied, my body's bruised, you've got me with nothing to win and nothing left to lose. I can't live with or without you. See, there's something really profoundly sad when we can't live with someone who we were not actually meant to live without. Got me thinking about this book that we're looking at in the Bible, the book of Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah heard that the walls of Jerusalem were down and the people of Jerusalem were vulnerable and afraid. And he looked and he said, that's my city and those are my people. So he made a 1,200 kilometer trek from his home in Susa to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls. And last week we looked at this incredibly inspiring chapter, Nehemiah chapter four. We saw Nehemiah got a team together and they started building the wall. And, and then uh, Sanballat the Sumerian and his, his buddy Tobiah, they started uh, ridiculing the Israelites who were rebuilding the wall and mocking them and threatening them. And eventually the people got rattled and Nehemiah called everybody together and he said, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Fight for your wives, fight for your kids, fight for your families, fight for everything that you hold dear. And you know what? They did. They built with one hand and held a sword with the other. And the wall continued to be built. 
It's amazing because if Nehemiah chapter four is inspiring, Nehemiah chapter five is just sad. Verse one. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So let me fill in the blanks for you a little bit. This is what had happened. There, were, there, there was people uh, of Jerusalem, there was families in Jerusalem that were spending so much time building the wall, so much time defending those who were building the wall that they had no time to work in their farms. And so they weren't making any money and they weren't producing any food. And so they were actually going hungry. And what they did was they went to some of the wealthier members of the Jerusalem society and they said, could, could you help us? And, and these wealthy Jews, their, 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 their countrymen, their family in a sense said to them, oh yeah, we can help you. We'll lend you money and we'll charge you interest. And when the people couldn't pay back, what they did was they seized their land. And when they still couldn't pay, they forced them to uh, sell their sons and daughters into slavery. So no, no wonder there was a great outcry. And Nehemiah hears this and he's so angry because it's so incredibly sad. And he gives them these instructions. He says this, Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you were charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. So in Nehemiah chapter four, we see that uh, the people of Jerusalem had to weather opposition from the outside. In Nehemiah five, they had to weather opposition from the inside. And it's so true of us today. Like we're in this profound moment of human history. And and, and what we need to do is uh, we need to be with each other. Like this job that we have to do, um, I can't do it without you. You can't do it without me. Like I need to be with you, with you, with you, with you, with you, with you. We, we, we got to be together because right now what our world needs is unity. Right now what our world needs is love. Right now what our world needs is kindness. Right now what our world needs is peace. And what I want to suggest to you right now is I want to suggest that um, you can't bring to the world what you can't find yourself. And and, and I want to suggest that there's incredible power in proximity. So, So my first question for you would be this. Have you found peace within yourself? Because if you can't find it within you, you can't bring it to anyone. See, there's so many of us, there's a war raging inside of us. We're so, we're so full of regret and shame and anger towards ourselves that until we are able to find peace within ourselves, we will be unable to bring it to anybody else. Until we are able to end that war with ourselves by surrendering, we won't be able to bring peace to anyone. And for some of us right now, there's a war raging in our marriage. And if there's a war raging in your marriage, what I would ask you to think about today is this. When did grace leave your house? When did grace leave? Because I know this, when grace is absent, defeat is imminent. See, if we're if we're going to bring peace to the world, we've got to find peace within our marriage. We've got to get our grace back. I'm going to show you how to do that in just a couple minutes. For some of us, for some of us, it's within our family, our sons and daughters, our moms 
and dads. And you know, what's true for, uh, for, what's true for our families is also true for our church family. If we're gonna, if we're gonna bring unity to the world, we gotta find unity together. When you look around the Christian church in the world today, you look at the church in China today, and they're living Nehemiah chapter four, aren't they? The church in China right now is, is dealing with all kinds of opposition from the outside, the communist government. They face oppression and opposition from the outside. And yet the Chinese church is growing. It's an inspiring Nehemiah chapter four story. If you look at the Christian church in the Middle East today, they're living Nehemiah chapter four. They're facing all kinds of opposition from the outside. There's powerful forces looking to squash the message of Jesus. And yet, get this, the Christian church in the Middle East is still growing. It's an inspiring Nehemiah chapter four story. And yet we look at the Christian church in North America. And relatively speaking, the Christian church in North America doesn't face the kind of opposition, doesn't face the kind of oppression that other churches around the world do. And yet, and yet, and yet, the church in North America in so many places, it's not growing. Well, how can that be? And the truth is the church in North America isn't living Nehemiah chapter four. We're living Nehemiah chapter five in too many situations that the opposition, the oppression comes from the inside. That the, 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 the mission of the church, the message of the church, the effectiveness of the church is not threatened primarily from the outside, but from the inside. And what I want to suggest to you is that we need to come together and we need to find peace with one another so that we can bring peace to the world. And this isn't a new problem. Back in the first century, the writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 13. Stay on good terms with each other. Held together by love. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why some have extended hospitality to angels without ever knowing it. Regard prisoners as if you were in prison with them. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. Don't be, ex- don't be obsessed with getting material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way. Life's most persistent and urgent question is this. What are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? See, I think we have a call. If we're really going to come together in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, we got a call to heroism. Vocabulary.com defines heroism this way, it says, putting others first, even at your own peril. Putting others first, even at your own peril. Isn't it interesting when we go back to Nehemiah chapter 5 and then Hebrews uh, chapter 13, how money comes up. And, and I think the reason why, Jesus put it this way. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. In other words, um, your money is a gauge on the dashboard of your heart. So how's your heart doing? Do you have a heroic heart? Because what I want to suggest to you is in this profound moment of human history, we, we, we need a heroism. We need to put others first, even at our own peril. We need to ask this question. What are we doing for others? So does your money reflect a heroic heart? So let me ask you this. Um, do you tip heroically? Are you a heroic tipper? 
some of you are looking at me right now. You're nudging the person beside you and going, oh, come on. This is Mike. Mike used to be a waiter at Earl's for years. He put himself through university as a waiter, and he's always talking about tips, you know, and he talks about the fact that Sundays at the restaurant, no one wanted to work because they knew the church crowd was coming in, and, and it's just one of Mike's pet peeves. You're kind of right. You, you, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But do you tip heroically? Because I think you can be a big tipper and not be heroic, but I don't think you can be heroic and not be a big tipper. Do you pay your babysitter heroically? When our kids were growing up, we had no family in the area, so no one around to look after our kids. And we didn't make a lot of money, but Corinne had read this uh, Life's Little Instruction book, and one of, the, one of the things that Life's Little Instruction book said was, always overpay a good babysitter, and boy, oh boy, did we ever. We budgeted for it. We sacrificed for it. And it's amazing when I think about it now because there's a young woman who became like another daughter to Corinne and I and a big sister to all our kids, all, all, all their years growing up. And she's still like super close to us, her and her family today. Do you pay your babysitter heroically? Because I think you can pay your babysitter a lot of money and not be heroic, but I'm not sure you can have a heroic heart where you put others first even at your own peril, and not pay your babysitter well? Do you, do you treat your friends heroically? I've been golfing a lot lately. I'm not very good. I like it. I wish I was a bit better, but I, 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 I enjoy getting out to golf. And I've got a few friends, I'll tell you, if you do not show up at the course a half an hour before your round, they'll, they've already gone into the clubhouse and they paid for you. And it's really interesting being around those guys too. Because you, you know what that makes me want to do the next time we golf together? It makes me want to beat them to the golf course so I can pay for them. So let's go past that. Let's go past the finances. Let's go right to the heart. A heroic heart. See, I think there's a generosity that comes with having a heroic heart. And I guess the first question I would want to ask you today is, can you be generous to yourself? Because I think for so many of us, we're just holding so tightly to... I don't know, regret and shame and guilt and there's this war raging inside of ourselves. And I think the only way to end this war that's raging, you versus you, is to surrender. It got me thinking, do you know the one thing that you have that Jesus doesn't already own? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the rider of the ancient skies. Do you know the one thing that you have that he doesn't already own? Your sin. Would you be willing to give it to him? Romans 8 says that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. The only way to end this war raging inside of you is through surrender. Would you be willing to be heroic in your marriage? See, I think the stakes are really high. And where grace is absent, defeat is imminent. So would you be willing to inject grace back into your equation? See, for so many of us, I feel like we're holding on to the moral high ground and the assistance on having to be right. But I'm wondering if today, whether you can let go of that and extend forgiveness and extend hope and extend love and extend kindness and extend, yes, extend grace. Maybe within your family, 
Parents, can I ask you a question? Would you be willing to let go of that vision that you have for your son or your daughter? That vision that you have that really is based more on what's going to make you happy and what's going to make you proud and what's going to make you fulfilled? And can you instead let go of that and pray for them and ask that they would become exactly, exactly who God made them to be? I think we need to have a heroic heart. I talked to you earlier about how Corinne's dad swore at her and then called her that name and I was wondering, did he really say that? Did that that really just happen? What I didn't tell you is before he repeated it, Corinne said in a really, really quiet, small voice, but dad, can't we just start with today? Can't we just start with today? And before she got done, he yelled over top of her and repeated what he had already said once. And it got me thinking, you know, what if he would have stopped in that moment and been heroic and said, yes. How would life have changed? I don't know, like maybe, maybe after the game ended, we would have gone to Pete's drive-in and got milkshakes, all of us, including him. How would life have been different over the last couple of years? I don't know, like, how would Lucas's wedding have been different three weeks ago? I guess I want to ask you, can we be heroic? Can, can, can we put others first, even at our own peril? Can we ask that question, what am I doing for others? Even within our church family, I want to give you three challenges. Can we be financially heroic? Can we be financially heroic? See, we're in this profound moment of human history. Nothing like this has ever happened in our lifetime. Like 2020 is unique. And right now, I would suggest to you that the world needs hope and help and home more than it has ever needed. And when I say home, please understand, I'm standing here, by the way, you figured this out already. I'm standing here in the new building. And, 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 and I've been thinking a lot about it. Like this building is under construction. This building is under construction. But, but, but in my mind, I don't know if I would call it a building as much as I would call it a tool. Because construction, years and decades from now, generations from now, you know what? Construction is still going to be happening here. That people are going to walk in here. People are going to receive messages broadcast from here. And they're going to learn about unconditional love and unwavering faith and unshakable support. So yeah, it's a building under construction, but it's a tool for construction. And we're in this pivotal, this profound moment of human history. And I would say, could we be financially heroic? Because if not us, who? And if not now, when? Can we be relationally heroic? Now's not a time in our life. Now's not a time in your life or my life for us to allow something to wedge between us and people that we're close to. It's not a time for us to pull apart. We need to pull together. And I got to tell you truthfully, over the last month, man, it's been a struggle for me. There's been so many little things that have been coming up with people close to me. And you know, the first thing that keeps coming to my mind when I know that there's something that we need to talk about, I know that there's something uh, that we need to settle. You know what the first thing that keeps coming to my mind over and over again is this phrase, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. 
And I just feel so convicted because the truth is they are worth it. So I do need to get uncomfortable. And I'm wondering who's in your mind right now? Is it the person you're married to? Is it someone in your family? Is it someone at the church? And there's something between you and you know there's something between you. And and there's something going through your head that keeps every time you want to go talk about it, every time you want to go make it right, every time you want to close the gap, something inside of you says it's not worth it. And I want to tell you, they are worth it. They are. They really are. A a couple weeks ago, a mistake was made. Now, amazingly, I didn't make the mistake, which is incredible. But this mistake that was made that I didn't make actually kind of profoundly affected me, or or at least it seemed really profoundly to affect me in the moment. And I was really bummed out. And and, and I dealt with a, a person on the Southside staff who I guess in a sense was the person who made the mistake. And I remember really patting myself on the back afterwards. I thought to myself, man, did I ever handle that well? I didn't call the person any names. I didn't yell. I didn't, you know, break into hysterical sobs. I handled it really well. And, and, and a few days later, when it was, it, everything worked out fine. This person came to me and they said, I really don't think you handled that well. And my first response was like, what? Are you serious? Like, I lit that thing up. I didn't even break into hysterical sobs. What are you talking about? So anyways, we kind of walked away, and that, that was sort of the end of that conversation. And we walked away, and I remember thinking to myself, what are, you, what are you even talking about? Should I go talk to them again? And then guess what came to my mind? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And I was sitting there, and I felt God asking me a really, really simple question. He said, hey, Mike, in that moment, when everything was happening, what was your overwhelming feeling? And that's really easy. My overwhelming feeling was self-pity. I mean, I was immersed in it. I was scuba diving in a sea of self-pity, okay? Like I was doing the front crawl and the backstroke in the, in, 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 in the sea of self-pity. For sure I was. Like immersed in it. And God said, I wonder how they were feeling. I'm like, How would I know? I was scuba diving in a sea called self-pity. I would have no clue how they were doing. Oh, so I've been preaching over and over again these last weeks about empathy. What's empathy? Putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And so I came to them the next day and I said, I'm so sorry. I was so busy scuba diving in a sea of self-pity that I did not even realize, did not even think how you might've been feeling. And I'm really sorry. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. We're way closer today than we were before we had that talk. So who's God putting on your mind right now? And if, 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 if that thought comes into your mind, it's not worth it, can I tell you? They are actually worth it. So we need to be financially heroic. We need to be relationally heroic. And finally, we need to be missionally heroic heroic in this profound season of human history. So here we are on July 19th, 2020, and so much is going on and so much has happened. And and what I hear people saying from time to time is this, the church needs to do something. And I want to tell you, man, do I ever agree. The church needs to step up. I'm with you. The church needs to bring help. Absolutely. The, The church needs to do something. Couldn't agree more. But here's the thing. You know the church is not a what, right? 
The church is not a what? The church is a who? The church is me, and the church is you. I'm going to go back to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah calls everybody in. He's like, what are you doing? Like, give them their money back. Give them their land back. Get their kids out of slavery. This is your moment. Like, you don't want to miss this. We're rebuilding a wall. We're reviving a nation. Why would you want to miss this? Like, I can make a quick buck or I can revive a nation. I can make a quick buck or I can rebuild a wall. Of course, you're going to rebuild a wall and revive a nation. What a life, what a life, what a life we get to live. Can you believe it? That it's rebuilding time. And together, we get to help. That's the call. That's the call. We pull together because we're heroic. And together, we get to help. Let's pray. So dear God, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you that you chose to place us in this profound moment of human history. And God, I just want to stop right now and I want to take a moment. If there's anybody who's watching this right now from wherever you're watching and there's a war raging inside of you and you just been, spent so much time beating yourself up from, for the past, feeling overwhelmed in the present, fearful for the future, I want to say like, the only way to end this war inside of you is to surrender. See, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history. He lived, died, and rose again for you. So if today is the day you want to come to him and get a clean slate and a fresh start, strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternity, just pray along with me. So Jesus, I pray that you would forgive my sins. I give them to you. I walk away. I don't want to carry them anymore. I accept your clean slate and your fresh start. Today, Jesus, I pray that you give me the strength to be the person, be the heroic person that you created me to be and hope for tomorrow and the promise of eternity. And so God, for all the rest of us, I pray that we would just pull together in spite of the odds that we would not face opposition from the inside, but that we would pull together and move forward. And together we get to help. Wow. Thank you for this opportunity. Bless it. Bless us. In your name we pray. Amen. So by the way, if you just prayed and you invited Jesus, you surrendered your life to Jesus today, man, that is awesome. Can you please do me a favor? Can you, can you just text the keyword LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040. Or you can do it right in the chat where you're watching this, wherever you want to do it, but we don't want to stalk you. We just really want to support you. We want to welcome you into this life, this heroic life that he's created all of us to live. Man, I love you guys a lot. Here we are. Here we are. We're we're a building under construction, and when it's done, it's going to be a tool used for construction today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. We'll see you next week.